As we look into God's Word this morning, you know, we we truly find uh, a haven of rest. We find peace for our souls. Last week, we uh, looked at Jesus' statement that He came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundant. Turn Turn with me to that scripture again, John 10, verse 10, because... There's part of this statement that enables us to move on, to look and see that, you know, God really wants us to experience His life, and He wants to protect us from those evil forces in this world that would truly destroy us apart from His grace. John chapter 10. We often quote the part about abundant life, And forget that Jesus began the statement by saying, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. How many of you know that there really is a Satan? Just as surely as there is God, he has an adversary, Satan. And the scripture tells us that uh, he was once a beautiful angel named Lucifer who chose to rebel against God in pride And he gathered the angels around him that would follow him. And he uh, challenged God's authority in such a way that God had to remove him from heaven. And uh, cast him away from his presence into eternal punishment. And we know that uh, as God created this world and put his beloved children on this world that it's been Satan's plan to destroy, destroy every one of God's children. How many of you really know that Satan has a plan to destroy your life? I don't want to scare you. I don't want to sensationalize this, but it truly is biblical theology to understand that Satan wants to destroy every one of God's children. And so we look at the positive side of abundant life, and we want to dwell on that. Let's not forget that in order to know God's blessing and the security of His provision, that we need to realize that the adversary of God seeks to destroy us, even as a roaring lion, Peter, Peter says, to devour us, to destroy us. And from Genesis to Revelation, He appears over and over again, attacking God's children. How many of you have been attacked at least a few times by Satan? We know that he's real. We know that uh, this spiritual warfare that we experience is absolutely a reality. Now turn with me back to Samuel, which is our text this morning, 1 Samuel and the 30th chapter. And I want us to see here a spiritual principle as uh, David saw the need to protect his family and his household and the kingdom by resisting the evil attack that had come upon them. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And it says, And David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day, and now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they had attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. And they killed none of them, but carried them off and went on their way. 
And when David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. What a dramatic event. David and his men, his warriors, discovered that their wives and their children had been taken and their city had been destroyed. This must have been quite an emotional event for them. It says that they cried and they cried and they cried until they had no more strength left to weep. You know, when tragedy comes upon us, it can truly be overwhelming. Have you ever found yourself in life, you know, just kind of cruising along, experiencing the blessings of God, and all of a sudden something happens? Something happens that just changes everything. That crisis, that event, that experience where there's a loss of a loved one, there's a catastrophe, there's an event. You know, uh, several years ago when we were just moving uh, back to uh, Albuquerque, I guess five years ago now, uh, we had just moved into our house and were settling there. And it was like the next weekend, uh, we got up in the morning and uh, we realized that the garage door was open. And uh, the stuff that we had moved into the garage, you know, the valuable stuff that was waiting there to be placed in the house, uh, was picked over pretty well by some thieves who slipped in at night got the garage door open, and took their pick while we were sleeping in the house of everything that they wanted, and it disappeared. Have you ever experienced a theft like that where you feel so violated? You feel so vulnerable. And the months that followed as we tried to make the report and get the insurance and do all that, the interruption of our lives, we realized, you know, this is just stuff. And we are so grateful that None of us were harmed in our home. Nevertheless, the traumatic event of being robbed, the intruder that comes in to steal, to kill, to destroy, is a a most unsettling experience in life. Well, what happened to David and his warriors was much more serious than this as the very lives of their loved ones were threatened. Satan is in the business of destruction. Uh, Rick Warren was talking about the experience of losing his uh, son who had recently taken his life and he said that the enemy, Satan, came in and stole his son's joy and the confidence of his salvation, his peace of mind and his health. And eventually, when his life was taken, he said that we were reminded that his eternal salvation could never be taken, could never, can never be touched by Satan. And he realized the great comfort and the great strength was as much destruction as Satan had caused regarding the the happiness and the health of his son that they knew that their son was safe in the arms of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that uh, there's a lot that can be destroyed? All of us have had those experiences. Uh, Some of you know my testimony of growing up in a very happy and peaceful 
and you know, well-settled home, and then we began to see it was a period of about a seven years where it was like the business was taken. My parents' marriage was destroyed. My father's health was destroyed. Uh, there were there was death. Uh, several people in our family, key members, all died. And here I was, uh, a young person. This was between the ages of about ten and fourteen. All of this destruction. Now, for me, what I realized was during that time when I realized that the things that I had trusted and enjoyed as a child were gone. There was a scripture that God planted in my heart that held me fast and established me in his eternal kingdom in a way that I would never be moved. It's my life verse, Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And I have to say that God not only saved me and established my heart in faith, not only rearranged my priorities so I began to care about him and his kingdom above everything, but the part that says all these things shall be added to you, God added a hundredfold of everything that was lost in terms of family, in terms of the, the, the right kind of prosperity, which is truly the blessing of God, in terms of joy and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you, I am blessed with the abundant life. Listen, that wasn't Satan's plan for me. How about for you? He wanted to destroy me. As surely as he had harmed my family and members of my family and, and done so much harm, God intervened. And God saved me and established me and helped me. And I know that many of you have similar testimonies of how as you turned to God and trusted Him, He made you secure, absolutely secure in Him. Now, as we were talking about the abundant life that God gives us, which fulfills us and satisfies in a way that nothing else can, let's remember that that abundant life is three things. First of all, it's purposeful. God has a purpose, and he shares his purpose with us. And isn't it wonderful to live with a God-given purpose? To get past the idea that I'm going to live to be successful, to accumulate things, to experience pleasure in this life. We realize God has a greater purpose for me, to glorify him. And we realize that we have meaning in life. Jesus said simply, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What does that mean? It means that in trusting him, we receive a purpose in life that's unshakable. Number two, we know that the abundant life of God is powerful. What does powerful mean? It means full of power. Actually, literally, the power of the resurrection that rose from the dead operates in us and through us. Jesus said, the things that you've seen me do, greater things will you do. Because what? His life, his abundant life is powerful. Do you ever sit and marvel at the amazing power that Christians have just being faithful? just being available, just praying the prayer that 
is the obvious thing to do, reaching out and touching the hurt, the need of someone. You realize how powerful we really are in this world through the work of the Holy Spirit in us and through us. God's still in the business of healing and delivering and setting free and restoring families and relationships and restoring the, the prosperity that has been taken away by the enemy. And so we say, wow, it's worth living. It truly is worth it. Third thing we see, that this abundant life is productive in that it does. it's not just self-contained, but it produces additional life. Isn't it amazing how everything that God gives life to has a way of being reproduced. Um, John chapter 15, Jesus said that you will bear much fruit. Now there's a condition there, and that is you're joined to the branch, the vine joined to the branch, Jesus Christ. But his life flowing through you will produce much fruit. You know, when I get to the end of my life, and... uh, an evaluation is made of all that I did, all that I invested, all that happened. It's the fruitfulness that comes from union with Christ. Only that that will really matter. Have you ever noticed that people when, you know, they they find out they have a terminal disease or they get very old and they're expecting to die soon and you say, well, you know, if you could have lived your life over, what would you have done? Well, I would have worked a lot more. Uh, I would have made a lot more money. I would have concentrated, been more successful. No, they always say, I would have put God first. <laughs> they always say, I would have spent more time with my, with my family, my kids. I would have realized that people were more important than projects and possessions. Wow. And so that kind of abundant life that reproduces in a productive way, means that every one of us, every one of us is fruitful and productive for the kingdom. And it's really, really true. And we never know how God's going to use us. Uh, This last week, I uh, was in Virginia Beach as we lived there for several years, back in the 80s. And I went to Regent University there to to uh, connect with a couple of people for a meeting. And I walked up to the desk, the the faculty uh, offices in the new building. And I walked up and I told them who I was looking for. And this lady looked up at me. And before I told her my name, I saw her writing my name on a piece of paper. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm Dan Hedges. I said, do you know me? And she said, oh, yes. She said, when you lived here before, I was in your Sunday school class. And he, she said, you gave me a lesson that changed my life. And she had her Bible right there with notes. And she said, I always go back and I look at that. And I realize that that was the word that I needed in that season. She says, I've been wanting to thank you. Now, that's a great blessing. But guess what? I had nothing to do with it. I just delivered the mail. You understand what I'm saying? I just delivered the mail. But what a privilege it is to deliver the mail when it's the Word of God that brings fruit. Brings fruit. And so, 
we see that this abundant life is worth protecting. Now, how many of you know that Satan isn't too happy about your abundant life? He would like you to have the other kind of life. Death, destruction, hopelessness. We need to be careful to realize that he is constantly at work to destroy us in any way he possibly can. And that's why we have to take our stand in Christ and protect that life that God has given us. We see in David this aggressiveness as we read on with this story. And I encourage you to spend some time with chapter 30 and see how David and his men realized what had happened and how they were so discouraged, they were so they didn't know what to do, and God gave David faith, hear this, to go back to find the Amalekites, to fight them and destroy them and save their families, rescue them and their possessions and bring them back. He could have given up. He could have thought it was hopeless, but he had the faith to go back and regain possession, and he did so, and their families were restored. And there's something in David's attitude, David's heart, that we need to catch today. How many of you know that there are some things that are worth fighting for? You know what? We are too quick to give up, to be passive. Some Christians say, oh, well, whatever happens must be God's will. Baloney. God wants you to take responsibility, to make good decisions, to fight the good fight of faith. To defend yourself, to defend your family, to stand up for what's right and not just be passive. Whatever happens will happen. You know what? Jesus said that the kingdom of God is it's violent in the sense that we've got to fight the fight. And it's worth fighting, isn't it? I remember a mom that uh, I was talking to and she had uh, her, she lost her first son to drugs and alcohol in prison, and her second son started going down that path. And then she started to grow in her faith, and she was taking him to the counselors and the social workers, and they were telling her, just support him, just listen to him, you know, just really don't confront him. And she's sitting in her living room reading her Bible, and her son is hung over in the back bedroom. And she said, all of a sudden, this anger started to take and I realized that the devil... The devil wanted my son. And she said, I knew, I knew that I knew that I would not let the devil take my son. And she went, knocked open his door, grabbed him, pulled him out of bed. She said, I love you too much to let the devil take you. <laughs> Scared him to death. But guess what? She got his attention. And something began to happen where he began to realize through his mother's love and his brother's bad example that he needed a different kind of life. And uh, his testimony was, wow. When she came in and, and grabbed me and, and told me that, she said, he said, you know, I, I got scared. And that's the kind of healthy fear of the destruction which can come when we are irresponsible. And truly don't take advantage of God's promises. Now, there's seven things that I want you to hear. These are the ways that the devil tries to attack us and to destroy us. And remember this. Now, I'm going to continue with this next week because I can tell I'm not going to be able to get to the depth what I, what I feel that God wants me to share with you this morning. <clears throat> C.S. Lewis, 
said this about Satan. He said that the greatest scheme of Satan is to convince you that he does not exist. If he can do that, he is free to operate in every area of your life undetected. Who's the, tro- who's the problem here? Satan. Stop blaming yourself all the time. Stop blaming other people. Stop blaming your circumstance. Stop blaming bad luck. Realize that Satan is behind this destruction that's in your life. Now, seven things. I'm just going to list them and then we'll come back and talk some more about it. How does Satan try to destroy it? Very subtly. First of all, he wants to destroy your confidence in God. He truly does. Whatever he can do to cause you to doubt God, to question God, to disagree with God, to lose confidence in God. That's why Hebrews says that we need to not cast our confidence away because it has a great reward to stay confident. Number two, Satan wants to destroy the joy of your salvation. He really does. And with that, the peace of mind that only comes through Jesus Christ. Do you ever know that this battle, this warfare in your mind, that there are spiritual forces at work? Satan wants to discourage you. He wants to get your mind off of God, off of his word, off of his promises. And if you focus only on your problems and your worries, you know what? Your faith will grow in your problems. You need to put like above your problems and put your faith in God. Number three, this is important. He wants to destroy your fellowship with the body of Christ. You need your brothers and sisters to hold you up and encourage you and teach you and pray for you. He'll do everything he can. And we see this in every church where Satan is in there trying to turn Christian against Christian, trying to get people to get their feelings hurt, where you disagree, where you feel uh, offended or, or neglected. Or, listen, don't put up with that. Know that Satan wants to remove you from the body of Christ so that you will be alone and separated and that you'll just dry up. You refuse that. Number four, Satan wants to destroy your marriage and your family. He truly does. Don't you know that a good Christian marriage is a problem to the devil? That's powerful. And Christian parents that love and treat their kids right, this is a problem for Satan. Satan wants to do everything he can to destroy that. So you've got to take a stand and defend your family. Number five, this is important. Satan wants to destroy your calling to serve God. You know, as you move along in your Christian life, God begins to put something in your heart to serve him. And you might neglect that or you might get into confusion or... You know, Satan wants to do his best to destroy your calling so you don't move forward in that very important part of your life which will be productive. Two more. Number six, very important. Satan wants to destroy your passion for God's Word. If he can destroy your passion for the Word of God, you're not going to have that source of faith. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, receiving it. And so Satan will have a way of distracting you, causing you to doubt the word of God, causing you to prefer other counsel than God's counsel through his word. And then finally, this is very important. 
Satan wants to destroy, hear this, your integrity and your reputation as a witness for Christ. And he gets at some of the best Christians this way. Have you noticed? And how we've got to guard our integrity. We have to be careful about our reputation and our witness. And someone said it this way, that integrity is like fine china. Easy to maintain, but impossible to repair. What's the condition of your integrity? Well, God can repair it, and He does. But do you protect your integrity? Do you want to walk right? Do you want to live righteously? What a responsibility. You know, that does great damage to the kingdom of darkness. Just you living for God. Keep it up. God will bless you and use you. Well, I've, we've come to the end of our time and we don't want to rush communion. So let me summarize by saying this. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you have my, might have life and more abundantly. How many of you really believe this? So there's a devil and there's a God and there's a Savior who told us what we need to be saved. Let's pay attention. Let's make sure that our lives line up with what Jesus told us to do and realize that though many may fall all around us, we are secure in Him and we are going to receive our ultimate reward as we're faithful. Lord, help us this morning, O oh God. Help us to repent for foolishness, O oh God, when it comes to the important issues of Your kingdom. We ask you, O oh God, to help us to see the life and the death, the light and the darkness. Help us to take a stand in our generation, in our time, in our circumstances, in each of our lives, O oh God, for you. And Lord, help us to, Lord, to appreciate the abundant life that you provide and realize that this is your plan for us. Lord, protect us. Help us to take up the full armor of God. Help us to stand. Help us, O oh God, to be fruitful. Help us, O oh God, to know that you truly are the way, the truth, and the life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And Lord, we are so grateful that the expectation that we have in our hearts, O oh God, of Jesus, of knowing him every day, of experiencing your grace, O oh God, in such very wonderful, practical ways in our lives. Oh, Lord, we thank you, O oh God. Lord, we thank you for this covenant that we had, that we have, Lord, that was paid for by your blood. And Lord, as we have taken this bread and been reminded, O oh God, that you are the bread of life, eternal life. And Lord, we've taken this cup and been reminded that this is the new cup of your covenant, Lord, and that your blood has cleansed the stain of sin in our lives where we are forgiven, absolutely forgiven, and that we have a new life in you. Lord, we just offer ourselves in rededication. How many of you this morning just rededicate your life to the Lord? That's between you and God. Lord, you see our hearts. Lord God, some of us are raising our hands. Yes, yes, I want to rededicate my life to you. And Lord, we ask for your continued grace in our lives to live for you, O oh God. Lord, you want us to love you 
You want us to love others. You want us to be faithful disciples in this world. And so, Lord, help us to do just that. Lord, we ask you to dismiss us this morning with your blessing and, Lord, your reassurance, O oh God, that truly you want to work in us and through us in this dark world, O oh God. And that total victory, O oh God, total victory is before us because this is your kingdom. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you this morning. If, if you aren't sure of your relationship with Jesus Christ, please stay a moment and talk with us and pray with us. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. Let's make sure that uh, everyone receives uh, the ministry that uh, may be needed. God bless you.